Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week or today is Robin Pandey, who also goes by the name of Moksha Mukti. Did you give yourself that name, Moksha Mukti, or got it from some teacher, or what? <laughs> it's interesting uh, how I got this name. Actually, it appeared in my uh, dream, you know. Hmm. Uh, so I got it from my dream, you know. Okay. A lot of things. <laughs> Something just came to you, like... Yes. Yeah. Don't moksha and mukti mean the same thing? Is, don't they both both mean liberation, or do they have different meanings? Uh, yeah, uh, it means the same thing, uh, but actually, you know, it it is also my stage name. You know, I also do other things, <laughs> and uh, it, uh, it going to to put it into stage. You know, I, moksha mukti you know, is like first name and last name. You know, mm -hmm. so okay. that's why stage name meaning you do some performing, some singing, some things like that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I listened to a bunch of your recordings, several hours worth, and also to uh, read a lot of the stuff that you wrote. And I heard you alluding to an event that happened in 2009, some kind of awakening or shift or something, but I never quite found a description of the event itself. Maybe you, you wrote it and I didn't get to it, but uh, can you tell us about that? This speaker right now is speaking, you know, experienced something which is uh, what I can tell you is extraordinary uh, you know and <laughs> I can really you know put words to describe you know what has happened you know at that time it's only thing I can tell you is they say it was extraordinary experiencing you know that lasted for uh, I would say about several months mm. you see and uh, what is left after that experience you know is moksha mukti because mm -hmm. what happened was it wiped out all the Conditioning, or uh, I would say, attachment to the conditioning, was uh, you know completely wiped out. This is not here anymore. See, I am not attached to anything, any desire, any uh, conditioning. So that's an that's an important distinction, actually, isn't it? That that it wiped out the attachment to the conditioning, because if it wiped out the conditioning, you wouldn't know how to play the guitar anymore, or brush your teeth, or anything else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you see, yeah, uh, you see, we cannot separate ourselves from the conditioning. You know, you see, I hear in a lot of uh, in a spiritual community that you know you give up your conditioning. You know, you cannot give up your condition. That's why even after this so-called awakening, you know, I am still participating in life fully and passionately. You know, actually, my participant is strengthened after this. Mm -hmm. Had you been a spiritual practitioner or seeker or something before this awakening? I have to be careful how I answer to this question because, you see, although you are seeking the spiritual whatever you are seeking, that event actually is independent to what has happened to me. It's not a related event. So, see, the, the thought structure we have is actually try to box within its limitation and, uh, you know, so within the limitations, it tries to you know box everything, and uh, tries to structure everything and which is limited, and tries to assign causality. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But you know, to give a simple answer, I mean, I heard you mention Deepak Chopra. I don't know if you were studying with Deepak Chopra or what. Had you been doing some sort of meditation, or you know, I mean, you're from Nepal originally, so that kind of thing is indigenous to your culture. I mean, you weren't sort of a gambling alcoholic you know crazy man uh, who all of a sudden woke up one day there there must have been some kind of something leading up to it again you know I have to be careful here because see when you say leading that means you know I this would be misleading to say 
uh, that you know by doing A, B, C, that will take you somewhere. You see, that is misleading. We humans have been misleading or misled by the you know so-called spiritual forerunners. By you know they're being saying that by do, doing yoga, by meditation, by sadhana, you know, or whatever you know, somehow, some point, you will be enlightened. You know, whatever that may be. You see, but I don't see it like that. How do you see it? See, this is an independent event, you know, how it happens, uh, when it happens, where it happens, you have no way of knowing it. So this event, let's say, which, which let's, we could call it enlightenment or awakening or whatever word is convenient, and no, no word really does justice to it, I'm sure, but if we did a scientific study, and let's say we took a statistically significant sampling of the population and control groups and so on, and, and we had one group that was practicing spiritual practices, and maybe we could have a, make it a big study, have, you know, 10 different spiritual practices, each group practicing a different one, and then 10 different groups who are doing nothing whatsoever, or some of them are taking drugs, and some of them are just not, not in the least bit. Don't you think that there would be a, a kind of a higher predominance of spiritual awakenings among the people who are doing the spiritual practices? I mean, doesn't it kind of pan out that way in our society? We, we see that happening, don't we? Certainly, you know, the way our thought structure, again, I want to go back to thought structure, the way it is structured, you see, in, it is a structure by what I call is a comprehensive collective knowledge. See, we have collected knowledge since the beginning of the time or beginning of the existence of man, you know, mm -hmm. whenever that existed, if such thing occurred. Uh, since then, we have collected this knowledge and uh, that actually is responsible for framing our structure or the condition of our thought. Within that framework, a lot of studies, people put a lot of studies, uh, which is actually, study is the reputation of thoughts. So when, uh, you know, you, you are putting, you're repeating your thoughts for such a long period of time, you end up uh, coming up with a, what they call is an idea profound idea you see and that idea is responsible for labeling like you know by you know practicing this you will succeed in a pri uh, practicing this you will fail and now I have to be careful because that exists in our uh, functioning in the society you see we, f we have to function in the society and to function in the society we have to accept that process but in uh, what I call is awakening or whatever is that it is totally unrelated to that. Okay, so you have a guitar sitting behind you, and I presume you know how to play it. And you didn't wake up one morning knowing how to play the guitar. You you practiced and you exactly. learned, and you were exactly. really probably really bad at it at first, exactly. and then you gradually got better, and maybe now exactly. you're you're pretty good at it. Uh, so practice resulted in your ability to play the guitar. But you're saying that doesn't pertain in the spiritual realm. Again, I have to be careful here, you know, because I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yes, without playing, without practicing, I cannot be good at playing guitar. Without practicing, even speaking, you know, I wouldn't be able to speak, you know, as good as, you know, what I'm speaking now. You know, I don't know how sure. good is that. So practice makes one perfect because what we experience is the repetition of thought. So if you repeat your thought, you become good at it. You can learn anything you want, you know, from operating, to, operating a camera to, you know, playing a keyboard or, uh, you know, becoming a scientist, you see. Even Einstein, you know, he spent 25 years, you know, focusing on something, repeating his thought, repeating his thought for 25 years. He came up with something so profound 
that uh, you know everybody looks up to him he's, he's such a great being but even what scientists what he says i can refute that and one day his theory will be outdated so what you're saying is that relative knowledge such as a scientist might acquire through study and practice and investigation eventually gets overturned and refuted i mean take einstein as an example since you brought him up relativity theory general and special relativity came along as a completely new understanding of the way the universe functions, but it didn't refute Newtonian physics. It just added a, uh, an understanding of a different layer of nature's functioning. Newtonian, you know, kind of more superficial gross layer of functioning, quantum mechanics, or not, uh, relativity theory deals with a deeper phenomenon. So I'm not sure where we're going with this, but uh, <laughs> in terms of relative knowledge and relative understanding, yeah, it is by definition it's relative and therefore always has. It's not absolute. It's not ultimate, final, you know, permanent. But exactly. it ha but it has its usefulness. Exactly, exactly. You hit the right word, uh, Rick. Usefulness. See, yeah. What they what serves they provide, a function. Yes. What they provide is their assumption. They assert it with presenting all these ideas and uh, you know we accept those ideas because we are conditioned to accept that and it serves its usefulness i mean yeah, you know yeah, exactly. the laws of physics of various types of have given us airplanes and uh, ipads and all kinds of you know inventions and so on they it has a practicality to it see yes yes it has a practicality and that's all there is to it you see they are, assert, are asserted their ideas and people accept that as a gospel truth or you know scientific evidence all theories what i'm uh, pointing out is all theories are false but like you said they are useful are they really false or are they just not complete in other words they each provide a little piece of the puzzle but they're not the whole puzzle i said they are false okay so let's take a theory um, the theory of, I don't know, relativity, which I don't completely understand because I'm not a, a physicist, but E equals mc squared, and energy equals the speed of light, you know, matter times the speed of light squared. Is that false? I would say it's false. Why? It is false because what they are using is what they call is a thought structure. See, thought structure is limited. It does not know the reality. One point uh, humans believe, uh, the theory believed that, uh, hey, you know, the earth is flat. And at that time, you know, if you were there, you know, whatever that time is, you would believe that earth is flat and you, you know, if you, if you and I were having conversation at that time, the, you would say earth is flat. But today, everyone is saying earth is round. And uh, I have to accept that. If I don't accept the earth is round, everybody will call me loony, right? There are some people out there who still believe it's flat. But <laughs> they, they actually have a website. Yeah, but now, See the quantum physics or the the new physics quantum I would say quantum physics uh, they're saying that the Earth is a hologram. So would you believe Earth is round or a hologram? See, and uh, again what I'm pointing out is that these scientists will come up uh, in the community and uh, you know they are useful and I accept them uh, for the usefulness. But they're uh, I say all theories are false because what they're doing is they're asserting well this is the right way to do it. I think if we acknowledge that no theory or bit of scientific information or even personal experience 
can grasp the totality, but each has its specific realm of applicability, then we don't have to say it's false. For instance, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity was proven by an experiment in which it was discovered that starlight is bent by the gravity of the sun. And, you know, and someone came to Einstein and said, well, what would you have done if the, if the theory had been disproven? And he said, well, I would have been sorry for the dear Lord because the theory is right. Okay. <laughs> he, knew, he knew that, you know, and, and, and it hasn't been disproven. It, it has its, its relative truth, but it's just not the total picture of, of the functioning of, of reality. It's just a, it's a, it's one aspect of it. Just as gravity is just one aspect to it, and on, you can take to take it to another level, and gravity doesn't exist. There, it's it's invalid. It's false. You could say, to use your words. Yeah, exactly. You're right. I, again, you know, I you know, I have to be careful because I do have profession, and uh, you know, if I somebody hears, uh, you know, talking about this, you know, they would say, you know, this guy is absurd. But no, I do accept, uh, you know, the reality. Again, I want to point out two realities here. One is, I would say, and in my book it is there, a reality I say with a small r and the uh, reality with a capital R. There you go. That helps. <laughs> the, re the reality that uh, you are talking about with a small r, those things are all, I accept that, yes. Yeah, relative realities. Yes, those yes. Are, those, yes I accept that. And those are only illusory uh, reality, which we accept that. And... Uh, the, and we accept them because see, what we have is a uh, mental mechanism that is uh, placed in us. That mechanism, through that mechanism, it uh, separates us. You and I uh, separate these objects around us. There is a glass, there is a leaf. Actually, I brought these two leaves here. I will uh, talk, talk about this in a minute. Okay. Uh, I was taking a walk this morning. Uh, and uh, this happened to be there. Anyway, I'm going off the subject. But yeah, so all this separateness is there uh, through this uh, what I call this mental mechanism see if we don't have this camera in front of us now and uh, if there is no headset to hear uh, you know we wouldn't be able to see each other right so the similarly the what I'm asserting or the what I'm pointing is that uh, the mental mechanism that we have uh, that lets us see the separateness so that uh, tells us that we are separate we are an individual being. We are independent, and we are separate. So that is happening through that mechanism. And that doesn't seem to be an accident. It seems to be kind of the way the universe is designed. There's all these mechanisms through which separateness is perceived. And yet I think what you're pointing to is that that's not the whole picture, right? There is a, a deeper reality which is not separate. Yes, yes, uh, deeper reality. Actually, I have, um, I, I have an analogy I want to make, if I may. I have this picture in front of me here, and uh, oh yeah, one of those things where if you look yes. at it long enough, you find something in it. I'm sure you, you know people have seen it. You have seen this uh, mm -hmm. type of picture. My analogy here is that uh, the universe that I see as the the picture, um, it, uh, there is nothing there, just like the picture in the universe. Universe. So clarify that. There's nothing in the universe. What are you saying? Okay, just like this picture right here. Mm -hmm. There's nothing here, right? Right. Just the dots and whatever. Lots of, lots of patterns and dots, yeah. Yes, yes. So the universe is like this. Mm -hmm. And we have this instrument, mental instrument. Which gives some sense to it or some interpretation or, or okay, some... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah, through, the, through this instrument, we see all these objects. Right. 
we see all this all these illusory things we see everything that includes uh, thoughts feelings emotions love hatred you know everything and everything is 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 the interpretation of the mind you see and if you look at through that picture for a long period of time you'll see there's something there and that is the interpretation of mind so the whole universe is like this dot 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 molecules tons of molecules and yes and that is uh, you know interpreted by the mind and mind sees as uh, something. What we are doing here is the totally interpretation of the mind. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, I think I get your point. And so, like, if there were ten beings in the room with you, and there's you, and there's a mouse, and there's a chameleon, and there's a housefly, and there's a bat, and a cat, and you know, a bunch of different beings. Each one, they're all in the same room, but each one is seeing some, is interpreting completely yeah. differently, seeing something completely different. Because so, so what you're saying is we're all like little filters that sort of just give a little perspective on a much larger reality without actually appreciating the, what's, ac what's really there. Are you saying that? Yes, um, somewhat, Rick. You know, you're right. The interpretation there, it's the interpretation of the, the equipment, you see. Mm -hmm. uh, just to give you an analogy, you know, you had some uh, different equipment. I couldn't see you clearly, but now you have different equipment. I see you clearly, mm -hmm. you see. So we see through the different equipment, you know, but that is not the you know, true picture of the reality, you see. That is right. Right, and and even from a scientific perspective, we're told that you know we only experience a little tiny fraction of the the electromagnetic field as visible light, and we only hear a little tiny portion of of potential sounds that are that could be heard, like compared to a dog or something, you know, and we or smell, we only smell it. So we're we're very limited in terms of our sensory experience in interpreting what's really happening. Is this the direction you're going in with this? Well, certainly, it is, yeah, you're right, it is certainly limited, but the direction, I think what I'm pointing out is that the mind is certainly limited, but, the, you know, what I'm pointing is, it is not the true picture of the reality, again, you know. Yeah. I think, I think we are, you know, here, having this conversation, you know, in this platform, I think we're talking about reality is the reality, and, you know, and my expression is totally radical, because, you know, this is going beyond the reality that is apparently, that is available right now. I don't yeah, sense. <laughs> I think it does. So I think what you're leading toward is that, you know, to say that um, one can somehow open oneself up to or be appreciative of or experience a deeper reality, which is far more vast than all these individual perceptions that are imposed, you know, the, 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 real, the, low, the limitations that are imposed upon us by our physical senses. Is that, is that what you're getting at? I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but I'm trying to understand where we're going with this logic. I want to go back again to uh, reality with a small r and reality capital r. with a capital R. Okay. And, uh, yes. And the mental instrument we have, what I'm pointing out is the mental instrument we have, whatever instrument we have, does mm -hmm. not know the reality. There is no way we know the reality through this instrument. Right. But there is something within you that is peculiar that knows the reality, that is connected to the reality, that is already available to you right mm -hmm. this moment. And is that what happened in 2009 when you had your big awakening? Was there some, some kind of opening to that reality with the capital R? The certainty I have, you know, whatever this living organism that is functioning here dynamically, mm -hmm. the energy behind that, it knows, it gives me authority to speak on mm -hmm. behalf of that. But, mm -hmm. see, I cannot 
put into language, you know, describing what has happened. You know, even that is awakening. Even I question, you know, whether there is awakening. You see, mm-hmm. even this is a dream. You see, I, what I uh, I think is this is a dream. There is no difference between the dream that we dream at nighttime and this. Obviously, there is a degree. There is a separating um, concreteness that is uh, we experience now than you know while you are sleeping. But even in dream, you know, I see this line. You know, I'm, I'm sure people have seen a lion chasing you. You know, you're trying to you know run away from lion, and you really believe that you're going like this, going like this. You're afraid your heart is beating. You know, all things happening, and you wake up. Hey, it's just no, a lion. dream. Lion. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, throughout history, people have said, well, you can't really put this into words. You know, many, many, many people have had spiritual awakenings and enlightenment or whatever, and they've all said words can't really express it. And that's, you know, that's not actually such a big mystical thing. I mean, words can't express the color, what the color red is. You try to describe color red, you don't have any words for it. Well, it's red, you know. (laughs) Is it it, it red? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you you might, you can only kind of, you know, use words to give a hint of, of yeah. what, what things are. And, th- and what you're alluding to is something which is not a sensory experience, right? It's beyond the senses, and so therefore it's even harder to put into words because you can't compare it to anything sensory. You can't say, well, it's like a, a, tasting an orange or it's like you know, looking at a sunset. It's, it's not a sensory experience. Exactly. So, see, after the awakening, what is left here again is the moksha mukti, and uh, that is only interested in pointing how this is functioning here, how it is functioning dynamically, you know, all the mechanism, all the functionality that is going on, how it is functioning. And in reality, it is, you know, this being here is actually singing a tune or speaking or whatever you want to call it. And some people accept this, some people reject it, and some people, you know, they're in neutral, is really not this being's concern. So what is your motivation in giving talks and satsangs and all that? What are you attempting to do or are you attempting to do anything? Nothing, you know, it's just expressing the expression. See, the life energy, it expresses itself. It is expressing naturally, so this is all it's doing, you see. Even if I show you this leaf right here, mm-hmm. you see, that is expressing, you see. Uh, these two leaves, they come from one tree, and there are uh, many um, leaves in the tree, you know, thousands of leaves, you know. And, uh, you know, what this being doing, is doing is something like this, you know, it's, it's expressing uniquely, you see. There is no being like this being here, there is no being like that being there who is speaking, and there is no being, you see. Uh, these two leaves, they're totally different. If you look closely, they're totally different, mm-hmm. you yep. see. But from far, they, it looks uh, s- uh, same or similar, but they're, they're totally different. Right. And each leaf is singing its tune that whether you pay attention or not, I happen to pay attention. I even pay attention to the birds that is flying, like this morning I was walking. I even see small insect that I say hello. You see, I acknowledge, you see, even the bird is, is a part of this universe, and the bird, I'm sorry, the insect is also a part of the universe. That is walking, I said hello. You see, because the, the insect is expressing, you know, whatever you tell me, you see, it's beautiful to me because I see that, you know, even I am walking. That is beautiful, and I say hello. And this is exactly what I'm doing, you know, this being right here, which is, uh, you know, living organism that is functional dynamic, expresses. And this is simply expressing, singing the tune. <laughs> huh. so, you, so you're just saying that you feel a kind of a, a kinship with all life and with all of creation. There's a sort of an intimacy with the birds and the bugs and the leaves and everything and 
you feel motivated to speak and make YouTube videos just just the way a bird feels motivated to sit in a tree and sing. There's just a a set of a spontaneous uprising of uh, of expression. Yeah, it's simply expressing. See, this this, uh, expressing, this energy that is dynamically expressing is just taking an illusory form, this as a human being, that as a bird, that as an insect, is just doing that. In, in reality, we are all one, you see, There's, mm-hmm. this is all dynamic, you know, we cannot separate in reality, but like I said, we separate, if I go back to my earlier, we separate uh, through this mechanism, mental mechanism, that sees us separate. And if I said, we are all one, let's have a group hug, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> if I do that, you know, hey, you know, I cannot function in the society. The society you know, is is so powerful. You see, is uh, is illusion. It's an illusion, but it's a powerful illusion. You see, mm-hmm. and this has been going on for millions and millions of years. And we have collected comprehensive collective knowledge, and this is actually driving this whole thing. You see, mm-hmm. in part of illusion, and it takes energy and thought projection. You see, if you don't give energy to that, you cannot be part of that. You see, and uh, if you don't give energy to that, uh, uh, you know, give attention to that. See, it rejects you. It throws you out. It calls you loony. You're a loser. You're that. You're that. You throws you out of the society. Hmm. And we have to accept that because it is powerful. Yeah. So in other words, you, we have to kind of give some credence to the the boundaries, uh, even though we might ultimately understand them to be illusory, in order to live a life, in order to exactly. interact with the world, make exactly. a, make a living, feed your kids, whatever you need exactly. to do. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm. I go to work. You know, I go. To, I have a regular job. I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. A software senior software consultant. I go mm-hmm. in the morning. I do job, and just like anyone else. Uh, but uh, you know, the recognition here is: I am not attached to the job. You see, I do the job. I do it passionately. I do. I work hard, mm-hmm. but I am not attached to anything. You see, I have a family. I have a wife. I have a daughter. You know, I am passionate about them, but there is no attachment. You know, if anything arises, I am there to. I am for them. You see. But the attachment is not there. But the I am passionate. My heart is there. You see. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if that makes sense. It does. And before this uh, thing in 2009, were you attached? Yes, I was totally attached to everything I did. You see, totally, totally attached. Right. And then all of a sudden, or or maybe not all of a sudden, but over a period of months, as this experience unfolded, you found yourself not attached anymore. No, it's just. Uh, it was instant. Fraction of a second. You see. Huh. Just like that. Just like that. Just like that. And so again, I'm curious. You just woke up one morning and this happened, or had you been doing some kind of meditation or reading spiritual books or going to seminars or anything whatsoever? Again, I want to a certain point out that uh, you know, awakening, uh, whatever this is, is mm-hmm. nothing that you ever imagine. You see, this is actually a burden in in a way. That because it is not something that you imagine that you know after awakening, oh you're gonna have so peaceful you know experiencing you know the great extraordinary experiencing all the time. No, you see, this is nothing that you ever imagine. This is nothing that is written in the book. This is totally different. It's actually a painful sometimes you know not painful to me but it's a painful situation to be in this position. Why? Why is it painful? It is not really painful to this being, but I'm speaking in, in terms of language to be, it's a painful experience, you know. It's not really painful to me. I am not in pain, you see, but it is painful experiencing. Why are you using the word painful? I'm using the word painful because that is the word we know from the comprehensive collective knowledge, see, the pain and the pleasure, you see, there's a two, two different things, right? So, but you're saying that awakening 
was painful or it could be painful or something. Is 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 that correct? Well, <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm trying to understand what and what what you mean or why you're using the word painful. Uh, again, I have to be careful because see, if I give you that, then you know you will say, "Well, it's not painful." You know, it's not. You, well, you use the word, is, though. I mean, why it, did you use the word? The, it is the experiencing that is uh, is is, 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 is like disastrous. You see, because see, it uh, wipes out all the conditioning that you attached to one point, and it is not there anymore. Okay, so it's kind of a radical transformation. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yes. It's, and, and, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and people who have, who have undergone such a radical transformation have often reported, you know, great fearfulness, or it really shook up their world uh, in some way. And uh, it wasn't necessarily, oh, oh boy, I'm so glad this has happened. It was more, it was more, like, holy mackerel, what's happening? <laughs> you know, and a, a period of adjustment. Yeah, and there is no turning back. See, I don't think I could ever go back to the attachment life. And yeah. you mentioned fear because actually there is no fear here, but. The fear is here, it's just like a heart. My heart is beating right now. Mm-hmm. I cannot take the heartbeat out, and I cannot take the fear out of my body, you see. The fear is here. Uh, after this uh, experiencing, uh, I am not interested in getting rid of my fear, you see. I am not interested in getting rid of my heartbeat. So the fear is there. I am not interested in getting it. When, when the fear is there, it's the part of the body. You see, when the animals attack, somebody attacks, you know, you're in a dark place, certainly the body gives you that fear. That is the mechanism. But the trying to get rid of the fear gives you more fear, so you're more fearful. Right, exactly, yeah. You know, there's an old Zen saying, which is, awakening may be an accident, but spiritual practice makes you accident-prone. A couple of times I've tried to ask you, like, what was going on in your life prior to this event, prior to this awakening, and you've stepped back and hesitated to, men- to say it. So, I don't know, maybe I won't pursue that line of questioning. I actually, what I do want to point out, Rick, is that you mentioned uh, earlier that I wanted to come 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 back and touch upon on that. You know, uh, so if you practice uh, spiritual practice, and I'm not against anything, I'm not against mm-hmm. any religion, I'm not against any scientist, I'm not against any government, I'm not against any society. I am just uh, happy to be here and. Uh, uh, you know, by practicing, if you want to practice spiritual, I don't, you know, recommend not to don't practice. Uh, after the awakening, I don't eat meat, I don't drink alcohol. You just quit in a fraction of a second like that. You had I don't been, you had been doing those things before? No, I was I was I was making a I had a wine shop in my basement. I was making home wine, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I was eating meat almost every day. And you yeah. know, after this awakening, just instead of a second. I don't know how it happened, why it happened. It just, you know, this body is not interested in taking meat or drinking alcohol, you see. Mm-hmm. It's all gone. Let me go back to the spiritual awakening. By practicing, it gives you, certainly gives you some extraordinary experience. If you just sit here and do meditation, today I say meditation is sleeping. Uh, but then again, back then, you know, I did used to teach meditation to people uh, at the Ohio, in, in Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. By doing meditation, it will give you, uh, certainly give you extraordinary experiencing, but that is not the real awakening that everyone is looking for in the spiritual community. No, it's just experiences which come and go, but there is a correlation between meditation practice and awakening. Like I said in the Zen saying, it, it does make you accident prone. There's definitely a correlation. Or who knows? I mean, maybe it's people who are destined to have an awakening just are inclined to do practices, and there's no correlation between the two. It sure does look like 
various kinds of practices that people do culture the nervous system or somehow bring about a development which makes it more conducive or likely for some shift to take place. Yeah. See, that may, again, bring you in the state of what they call is the enlightenment state. But, again, that is not the real enlightenment. Even if you come to that state, what I'm pointing out is that is not the real enlightenment. That is the experience of the something extraordinary is, is not the real enlightenment. So, yes. Well, I, I didn't mention can, anything about it extraordinary, but, but, okay, but since you've said that, what is the real enlightenment? Why are we interested in uh, enlightenment in the first place? Because you just brought up the word. You said that it, you said that whatever spiritual practice brings you, it's so, it may be something ex extraordinary, but it's not the real enlightenment. And so that implies that there is something called the real so, enlightenment that you're referring to. Well, I, I don't know if there is such thing as enlightenment, but I am just you know, speaking in terms of language if, if there is such thing as enlightenment. Okay. Whatever this state is, the, the shift that happened to you, you're not saying it's enlightenment, but you are saying it's moksha mukti, which both of which mean are, are synonymous with enlightenment. Enlightenment is the Western word; those are Indian Hindu you know, Sanskrit words for liberation, or which is what enlightenment is supposed to be. I'm just trying to get it clear what you're talking about, what your experience is, and what your understanding is of what this state that you're experiencing is. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Again, you know, we are Rick. We are using the thought structure. The, you which, know, this which we which we have to do if we're going to exactly, have a conversation. Exactly. There is no other way. There is no right. other way. Yes. So we are using thought structure to box what has happened. From my experiencing, what has happened is it's not something that I gained. It's something that I lost. What I lost was attachment. a total attachment to the conditioning. That's what happened. Okay. What else can you say about it besides losing all attachment? You also said you'll, you stopped eating meat and drinking alcohol. Is, is there anything else which you can say which kind of points to what it is or what it was? Yes, your family and your friends will uh, distant from you because everything you talk, you talk like this and they have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> and they know it's something great and they kind of come to your level and they say, you know, come to my level. And I said, you know, why do I need to come to your level? You come to my level, you know. So, you see, it never works. You see, well, you know, when the mango tree is ripe, the branches bend down so that it's easy to pick the fruit. It should be possible for a person who's in a, a, a realized state to come to the level of the listener, whatever level that may be, and speak to them in a way which they can understand. You see, I don't see any level. You know, people they see as a level, this level, that level. I don't see as a level. I am just the extra. I'm just a simple, ordinary person. You see, there is no level here. You know. But you just said that you said to your family, "Come to my level." And that's that. That's what their their words. You know, they said, "Come." You know, you're you're high. You know, you didn't say, "Come to my level." I said, "No, you come to my level, whatever that level may be." <laughs> ah. On the one hand, you're saying that <laughs> I don't mean to be argumentative, but I'm just trying to pin you down. Um, on the one le hand, you're saying that your family couldn't understand you anymore because you were speaking from a level or in, in a certain way which they couldn't relate to. Natural, natural, from natural state. And why do you feel they couldn't relate to it? Just because it wasn't their experience, right? No, the whole I would say 99% of human beings are functioning in terms of only uh, in terms of uh, the collective comprehensive knowledge we have collected see right and that uh, knowledge is uh, you know limited and if you just use that knowledge uh, you know which is we use for everyday talking you know you won't be able to uh, grasp you won't be able to know what that is you know in terms right. of but there's there's not knowing anyway you know in reality there's uh, but just to speak our language yeah they wouldn't understand or know what i went through
Okay. Now, obviously, there are other languages, so to speak, that are specialized that, that help people describe or discuss certain things. For instance, there's the language of mathematics. There's a, a certain language in music which involves notes, and you know, an, a conductor of an orchestra speaks yeah, that. Yeah, those, those are all part-induced. Yeah, he speaks that language, and, yeah. and, and the people in the orchestra understand that language. And you know, there are certain languages in, in medicine and different fields of science and so on that are all specialized that enable people to communicate with one another in those fields. Now in spirituality obviously we have a lot of terminology, a lot of scriptures, a lot of traditions and so on which have been dedicated to or concerned with discussing the kind of thing that we're talking about here and you know maybe it's never been perfect, you can't really describe the experience uh, with ultimately satisfactorily but a lot of them, you know, a lot of people have been trying for thousands of years and have made pretty good effort. Read Shankara, you read Ramana Maharshi, you read Nisargadatta, these different guys, or contemporary people like Adyashanti. They're pretty good at articulating something which is beyond words. There's no such thing as uh, articulating beyond words. You see, the, everything that you uh, describe, even the music notes, even the artistry, you know, even poetry is the thought-induced uh, experiencing. So whatever the thought induced experiencing, I, I call it impure, you know, it's not really real. Well, it's a pointer. Like, for instance, music notes. You see all these little squiggles on the paper. Yes. And, and a person who's not trained in music looks, in that and it looks at that and it doesn't mean anything to them. Yes. A person who's like a Neville Mariner or something like that looks at that and sees Beethoven's Sixth Symphony and, and understands what those squiggles represent and has an appreciation for it. So, you know, there's that old Zen saying again, finger pointing at the moon. Don't mistake the finger for the moon. So all these words are just pointers. Yes. But yes. but like the music notes, they can they can they provide a, a means, however inadequate, for communicating that which can only really be experienced and cannot be communicated through words. They but they they provide a way of this, of talking about it. Yes. Uh, it, it, words is different uh, in terms of thinking. Even the music is, I say, is thinking. You know. So the music is uh, notes, is thinking. See, everything is thinking. See, without thinking, you know, we cannot be aware. You know, no, people yeah. say. So it's all thought. You know, thought is actually what is thought is the is the electromagnetic field that is uh, functioning on its own. See, even right now, I have no idea what I'm going to say next. Any human being cannot say that I'm going to say something next. The thought is something that is happening spontaneously. It is the electromagnetic field that is arising out of the energy that you have within you and the, it is uh, relating to the energy that is happening dynamically that is we don't see here. It's the intangible energy that we have. You know, even the planet uh, you know, is giving us all this energy that is vibration that we don't see with our eyes. And uh, even distance, you know, trillion lights away, you know, something that is there is actually affecting us that we don't see it with our eyes, which is intangible. And these things uh, are actually uh, relating to each other. So in this relation, you know, it's a dynamic relation that is going on. You know, it's just the interaction, dance of molecules, the universe mm -hmm. dancing. That is what is happening. Did you think about this kind of stuff a lot before this awakening, or were you not, ver not a very philosophical kind of guy? I was uh, philosophical, you know. I, I, I like I said, I did uh, went through a lot of uh, you know readings and a lot of listening to the so-called gurus and stuff like that. But none of them really helped me in this awakening. You know, this happening is spontaneous. And who is speaking here right now? 
See, the speaker, I have no idea. See, Robin Pandey could not say all this thing. This is happening. This is happening dynamically. And who is speaking? See, there is only speaking going on. There is no speaker here. And uh, I suppose that's true of just about everything you do, speaking, eating. Yes, it's, it's, it's a machine. It's a machine. Yes. Yeah. It's a machine that is functioning on its own. Although, you know, it appears as a, it's not functioning, but it is functioning on its own. And that's, that's corroborated by ancient scriptures, too. I mean, there's all these verses in the Gita about, they say, even on grasping and letting go and walking and speaking and all this different stuff, one realizes, I do not act at all. There's no actor doing all these things. Yes, I mean, those are all assumptions, you know, written in the books. You know, you have no idea what is happening. You know, well, it's people who wrote books 5,000 years ago that tried to describe the kind of experience that you're trying to describe now. You well, know, you see, they're singing their tune, you know, 5,000 years ago. Whoever wrote that, Bass, or, you know, whoever wrote that. And, and I think, you know, whoever wrote that, it certainly heard that uh, they were in uh, acid, high in acid, you know, sitting somewhere in jungle, you know, and experienced all this extraordinary experience, which you can, you know, buy for, I don't know, I've never done acid, but I can, you can get for $10, $50 today and experience the same thing now and be able to write something extraordinary like that. Well, I did it a fair amount back in about 1967, 68, and I can assure you that the experience, although it gives you a glimpse of something, it's not the same as the sort of uh, awakening or awareness that's cultured naturally over time. At least it wasn't for me. It was a glimpse without actually having cleared out all the garbage that was filling my head and so it was a very muddled kind of thing whereas as you say in the case of your spiritual awakening there was a dropping of all attachments and presumably I mean what did that do to your thought process for instance did you find that prior to that awakening your mind was kind of noisy a lot and full of extraneous thoughts and then afterwards it became more quiet and there wasn't so much static going on it wasn't like 10 radio play stations playing at the same time nothing like that so what was it like prior to this I would say the thought is more linear you know linear thought now the thought is not linear it's I don't know it's uh, dynamic spontaneous would spontaneous. that be yeah. Would you say you're more living in the moment? Exactly. What is important to me is now what is happening, the mm. present. You see, the conversation you and I are having, you know, this is all exists now, nothing else. There are many things happening dynamically, you know, so-and-so is going to grocery store, so-and-so is uh, working even on Sunday, so-and-so is enjoying drinking beer, having fun, watching a ball game, my wife and daughter doing something, you know, this is all happening now, see, this is all there is, you see. Mm -hmm. And we have been misleading by these uh, so-called spiritual forerunners, saying that there is something other than this, and that is the problem. Who, would, who said there was, nothing, there was something other than this? You mean, like who? Uh, can you think of a forerunner who said that? Even the discussion we have, there, there is such thing as enlightened, and if someone is seeking for enlightened, there is something there, you see, other than this. What I say is this is it. This is a great joy for me, you know, be able to express, you know, there is nothing extraordinary than this. Yeah, true, but, you know, let's say you go to a drug rehabilitation clinic and you speak to a bunch of people who have really gone through a difficult time or to a prison or something, and you say, 
this, there's nothing other than this. Well, their this might be quite different than your this. Yes, material, you know, materialistic way, yes. Different, different perspective. Yes, yes materialistic, yes. And so this whole thing of there's nothing other than this sometimes I think sells it short because it implies that whatever anybody is experiencing is all there is to it. And there's a vast range of possibility in terms of enhancing or unfolding or clarifying your capacity for experience so that life doesn't look like a dismal mess and you, you feel inclined to throw yourself in front of a train. See, right there is the, is the problem that when you say capacity of the problem, right now, whether you, you don't have a capacity, and right now what I say, what I point out is right now you have a capacity, but your thought structure is limiting you saying that there is something different uh, in terms of material, you know, by being doing this that uh, you can experience something extraordinary. Uh, I am having extraordinary experience now. You uh, are? Yes. If you want something other than this, you know, I could be sitting on a beach, you know, what, mm -hmm. uh, what, what are you implying? I could be sitting on the beach, you know, listening to the beach. That could be more extraordinary than this. No, I said, no, this is... No, that, that would be sitting on a beach. And yes, this is, it is. Yes, this, that's, this that's is... Just, uh, that's just the degree or the materialistic uh, approach to see, you know, by being this, by, you know, being drug-free, uh, by being alcohol-free, by, you know, stress-free, you know, you experience this enlightenment. No. You know, I say, even if you're a drink, you know, drunkard, you know, drink every day and one day you can wake up and be enlightened, you know, awaken, whatever, you know. It's possible, but it's, it's, you're way out on the fringes of the bell curve if that happens. I mean, if you're systematically destroying your nervous system, the likelihood of, of awakening is, I'd say, less than if you're systematically culturing and purifying it. That is the you know, thought structure. That is the way of putting in, in terms of language. That is the way we are taught. That is the way we are conditioned. You know, that, that is the way you are speaking, yes. It's also what we actually see in the real world. Uh, you know, we, we see people who have... And, and I'm going to interview a guy next week who was a serious drug addict for many years, um, and he eventually came out of it. I don't know what he thinks of himself in terms of awakened or not, but he wouldn't trade his old condition for his current one because he was doing so much damage to himself, and it was warping his perspective so severely that it was you know, making his life and those around him utterly miserable. Where he is today is a far cry from that. So yeah. they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What I'm saying is that the eye of the beholder has a wide range of possibilities from hellish to heavenly and that one can actually, even though ultimately there may be no doer and no chooser and no free will, for all appearances one can actually make choices and take actions which can move you toward the more pleasant phases of that spectrum. Again, actually I wanted to go back and touch up uh, what you said. Okay. There is the idea that is out there and uh, you have that idea in you that is speaking in terms of what is this is the way things should be. So through that idea, we are saying by having X and Y or A, B, C that this person is going to be less miserable, this person is going to make the society less miserable because we are putting the idea and that is all coming from the idea. So what I am speaking is it is coming from the natural expression or the natural thought process or whatever. It is not even thought process. I don't know even what it is coming from. It is coming from spontaneously. Even the idea is actually is false because the idea is present there and uh, I am not saying if I go back into real world, I am not saying you know, like you know have a live your life miserably. No. What I am pointing out is the idea that drives this by saying this is the way the idea is, this is the ideal model is, and everyone should be like that, and that is what I'm saying is false. 
Yeah, everyone shouldn't be like anything. I mean, there's always going to be variety. Like your two leaves, no two leaves are the same. No two people are the same. But what I'm suggesting is that actions do have consequences, and the consequences of one's actions, one's choices, can make one either more happy, more miserable. And as long as one appears to have volition, it can be exercised, and can kind of steer the course of one's life in one direction or another. I'd like to take an ex- and to take an example of the the kind of practical utility of this spiritual stuff. Gangaji, for instance, you probably heard of Gangaji. Back in the old days, did a lot of prison programs, and she was visiting prisons in Colorado and elsewhere. And a number of people who are now living pretty happy, well-adjusted lives were in those prisons and who had contact with Gangaji, and it really transformed them, like John Sherman and Kenny Johnson, both of whom I've interviewed. There's this kind of notion that's popular in some spiritual circles that there's no causality between anything one does or, or engages in and a spiritual transformation. You know, that, that can kind of, I think, lead to nihilism, you know, where one feels like, well, why do anything then? But you see time and time again that when people do engage in something, like this interaction these guys had with Gangaji, it can be transformative. And so I'm just kind of saying that to play devil's advocate because you you kept insisting that nothing you had done prior to this awakening in 2009 could have had anything to do with it. And I'm suggesting that it may very well seem that way, but I'm skeptical. Yeah, you're right. That is, again, you know, I want to go back to the comprehensive collective knowledge we have collected millions of years. And actually Mm -hmm. that is driving you and I. And that model gives us the idea that certain things should be this way. And that is actually driving the human race today. Billions of human beings, I would say about 99% billion uh, human beings, follow that structure and uh, try to fit themselves into that type of model. And what I'm pointing out is that the, oh, well, you mentioned Gangaji, you know, where, you know, she uh, went to the prison. Point this to people that there is a, you know, I don't know what she pointed, but if I were her, I would say, you know, there is a reality with R and reality with the big capital R. And, uh, you know, you, this is all illusion. If you don't attach too much yourself to the reality, that, you know, maybe give you more peace. You know, that's all I can say. You know, I can tell them, you know, I can certainly point them to have more peaceful within whatever they are. But, you know, what I'm uh, pointing out is that is not the real reality. See, even the peace, the, is there such, such thing as a peace? Even I question peace. Yeah. Well, you know, Gangaji may have said something like that to those people. I don't know what she did. She also has a certain presence, and presence can be contagious. There can be a transmission kind of value that even without saying anything, like Ramana Maharshi a lot of times didn't say very much. He just sat around, but his presence was transformative to those who were in his vicinity. So I guess maybe I'm saying spirituality is contagious. One question, uh, my wife actually brought it up to me, just passed me a note. She said, apart from any practices... Did you have a spiritual desire or thirst, you know, prior to this awakening? I mean, you kind of said you did. You were reading books and listening to satsangs and all. So there must have been a thirst. There must have been a, an intention or, a, a, you know, some kind of desire. Who, 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 who doesn't desire for something great? Yeah, some people don't. Or some, at least they don't set their sights as high as perhaps you did. They, they think, oh, what I really want is a new car. You know, <laughs> and not everybody does. I mean, most people have material aspirations. Like, yeah, you, even, said, even, like you said, the 99%, um, which in this case has a negative connotation, are, are primarily concerned with tangible stuff. They're not concerned with what you're alluding to, which is much more kind of abstract. Everyone 
uh, aspires for some desire. Without desire, you know, I don't think this uh, dynamic would function. I agree. Uh, you know, so desire is there, even there is today, but mm-hmm. attachment to is desire, desire is not here. That's a good point. So desire is always there. You know, desire actually drives the whole humanity. Yeah. Or yeah. the you know, uh, even the, I think the you know universe created us through desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so desire is there. The desire for material things like you know car, you know being a rock star, superstar, or having a millionaire, you know become a big house, you know. See that desire and becoming an enlightened person. I don't see the difference there. I agree. I mean, it's the same basic fundamental craving for more, for happiness. You know, yeah. I think I maybe heard you say that a lot in your talks. That ultimately, what one is looking for is happiness, or am I thinking of somebody else? But. Whether it's a car or a mansion or fame or enlightenment, I think the fundamental motivation is the same. Yeah, because even you do spiritual practice to become a spiritual person, you know, to have the spiritual power. Even who, that, do, who, who does? You know, the spiritual community, like a like, priest and, you know, whoever you go. Well, some people do, but I don't think a lot. Some people are, are perhaps more simple and sincere in their motivation. They're not thinking, I want spiritual power. It's, it's more like they just want truth. They want to live a true and, and meaningful. And they, they don't, they want to come out of any sort of delusion or confusion. They just want to know what's real. That's their motivation, pure and simple. Well, you know, some people maybe, but a lot of people who, if you are seeking, you know, like if I want to go back to this, you know, if you said there is a difference between seeking for the material uh, desire versus spiritual desire, what I say is both are thought-induced desire. So both are thought and material, they're the same. So if you're thinking that thought and the uh, desire, they're the same thing. Yeah. See, because, see, if you boil down to the thought, you see, the thought is the wave function electromagnetic field, it's a wave function, if you narrow down to even this material, the leaf, uh, you know, thought and the leaf, they're the same, because this is also a wave function, thought is a wave function, and you you probably heard, you know, yogis in India who have produced uh, orange in their hand with their thoughts so they can fulfill their hunger. (laughs) Yeah, you read about that, autobiography of a yogi and so on. Your point, I think one thing leads to the next. As you say, perhaps the whole creation came about through desire. You said that a minute ago. And, and each of us being a kind of an expression of our aspect of creation is motivated by the same fundamental tendency that maybe gave rise to creation itself, which is greater and greater. You know, there's a saying, contact with Brahman is infinite joy. It seems that the whole flow of life is in the direction of greater and greater happiness, you know, or at least an attempt at greater and greater happiness. And one thing leads to the next, you know, and you, you get the new car and you find, oh, that didn't make me happy. I want a bigger car or I want a bigger house. And eventually you kind of realize, well, it seems like none of these material things are going to make me happy. Maybe there's something non-material that could make me happy. And then maybe you start searching in the spiritual direction. Yes. Certainly, your linear thought will point like that. Linear thought will emphasize that this event will uh, lead to that event, and this event will lead that way. I said no, because what is happening is happening independently, and it is happening dynamic. No two events can relate to one another. It's happening independently. You see, all these molecules, that is dancing in relationship, you see. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, you know, you do something that lead to that, you see, it's never like that, see. What I say is you are already awakened. The only thing that is blocking you now is your thought, 
even even a tiny thought that is see, is moving a finger is is blocking you to recognize that you see you are already enlightened already awakened whatever is is that is that term if that exists so all, would you say that is equally true of all 7 billion people in the world that they're already awakened or already enlightened yes there you know there's no difference the how the the living organism how this is functioning here and there essentially and fundamentally is functioning exactly the same way there's no difference yeah, but you know, there's something that blocks. Yes, yes. Or, yeah, I mean, so okay, by this logic, Adolf Hitler was already enlightened, well, and, see, now, and now, the, now. the guy who shot up the movie theater in Colorado a year ago. Essentially, essentially, and fundamentally. Essentially, that's the key word. Fundamentally, you see, what Hitler is, is his thought is totally different, but the living organism, how it's functioning, I'm saying, the breathing mechanism, the heart is beating. See, right now, I can feel my heart, it's beating. And all here in this here is, is a hollow. Whoever this person sitting is hollow thing. All I can do is feel is my heartbeat. So all here is a heartbeat that is functioning. You see, yeah. and all this activity that that's what I'm talking about. Not the thought structure which is mechanical that is placed in us. But what does all this heart heart beating and everything have to do with enlightenment or awakening? I'm not, I'm not talking about. The, I'm talking about how we are functioning. You see how we are functioning. Exactly the same way. See, the heart is beating here. Yeah, yeah, and the same is true of a a chipmunk. I mean, his heart is beating. Yeah, but when you say that everyone is already enlightened, then my question is, all right, fine. Uh, Essentially, they are, but the 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 name of the game is is realizing it, not just saying. Attachment to your thoughts. Even you you know, moving this finger is a thought. You see, that is blocking you to recognize that. Okay, and so when you had your awakening, you kind of in, in a moment, in an instant got unattached to everything but you don't know how it happened to you and no there is no way it just just happened this is no way now and you may say pure luck or by the grace of God if he exists you see that's all I can say I interviewed a guy a couple years ago that was crossing a parking lot and a car almost hit him and tires screeched and you know he was shocked and he awoke and that was it he didn't change back after that he was awakened Yes, let me uh, actually point you. I had an earlier thought to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what you just wanted to say. Actually, I wanted to. I don't want to miss that. Even a tiny insect that is crawling on the ground. Mm-hmm. See, even this leaf falling from the tree. Even this conversation. Even the word I say, hello, or something, or something that you read in the book. You see, these are all coincidences. What is happening? The awakening. I say. I point out is that is happening spontaneously through without you you have no control that is happening and it is just a coincidence that you happen to be sitting in the temple or you happen to sit in with the guru or you happen to listening to me or you have to listen to someone else or you have to listen to uh, you know some great person you know great personality mm-hmm. whoever that is you know so you see those things are just coincidence and certainly uh, you know if the person has been through this spiritual uh, training and learning experience this and they recognize this uh, right away and they say oh this now i know i am awake there are millions of people who are already awakened you see they do not recognize that well they recognize that peculiarly but they don't know how to speak the words the, like you and i are speaking so we don't know who they are but they these people exist 
Well, I think there's truth to that. I think more, especially these days, it seems more and more people are awakening, and in many cases, they don't have any kind of spiritual background, and they don't know what it is at first. And, yeah. And yes. maybe after they have the awakening, then they start yes. searching. I mean, Eckhart Tolle was an example. You know, after the awakening, then he started putting the pieces together. But I still think that, to use your temple example, but to make it more metaphorical, if you hang out in a temple, you're going to come out smelling like incense. If you hang out in a bar, you're going to ha- come out smelling like alcohol and tobacco. So, you know, what you, which was the way that my father smelled when he came home every night, but <laughs> according to what you do and the, the company you keep, and this is actually a point that's emphasized a great deal in the Vedic tradition, is that the company of the enlightened is a very powerful technique in and of itself for getting enlightened. Um, yes, yes. What I'm saying is that even that putting into into that situation, see, you have no way of, uh, you know, you also say, well, I made a choice to be there. But see, what I'm pointing out is you don't have a choice. See, the choice is happening spontaneously. And you happen to, you know, it appears that many events that led it to that point, this is linear thinking, and you are there, happen to be in this uh, community, great community, and you stay there many years, and you happen to be enlightened. What I'm pointing out is that that is happening dynamically, and you are enlightened, you know, if the such thing exists. And then you say, well, you know, because I am in this present of group of people, then I am enlightened. You know, that is just the way of... Uh, Not because you're in the group. I'm just saying that certain associations can be more conducive to it than others, certain activities more conducive than others. You know, if you say that there is actually nothing you can do whatsoever and it doesn't matter what you do, it's either going to happen or it's not, and you're already there even if you don't know it, it doesn't give people much to go on. And, and <laughs> you know, I mean, the seven billion people in the world, fine, they're all enlightened on some level, but most of them don't have any inkling of that such a thing even exists. It's not really a practical instruction, you know. It's not going to be able if, to... If, if, if there is a, such a practical instruction you see there is no instructions for this i think there is I, I i think that you know one can give practical advice one can give talks that can be conducive to enlivening this yes there, yes, there, there can there can be a value i mean you go to like a lot of people who for instance i'm using him as a case in point because i like him a lot adyashanti a lot of people who go to his satsangs end up having these awakenings even some people who've been like seeking for decades and then they go and they hear him say a few things and something clicks you know they probably wouldn't have gotten that that day if they just stayed home and watched the football game again i think you're missing a point what i'm pointing is that uh, even going to that event is is totally unrelated and totally independent because what is meant to happen it it is see it happens you're sitting down even in the bar you know you're drunk you see you're enlightened, you know. That that is totally underrated. But what I'm I'm not very unlikely. I no. <laughs> I, I don't know how many bars you've hung out, and maybe you have, but I, I haven't found too many enlightened people in them. I mean, see again, you know, the enlightened whatever this this what we're talking about is is totally unrelated to anything that we do. You know, the gurus and these people will sell you in the marketplace. They will they will sell you in the marketplace. This all these uh, ideas and uh, beliefs. You know, somebody. Uh, I heard that uh, they're doing this tantric uh, sex, uh, you know, to enlighten people, which is totally rubbish because, you know, you cannot enlighten people by doing a tantric sex or, you know, uh, doing this, doing yoga, samadhi, uh, all that thing, you see, because uh, there is, these gurus, they're actually selling this in the marketplace. So, you know, it's a big business, you see. Oh, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of nonsense <laughs> out there. There's a lot of crazy stuff that people do. I mean, it's a whole huge potpourri of different things. And and I'm not suggesting that everything is of equal value, that all teachers are, are of equal usefulness. I mean, it's a, it's a real hodgepodge. And you kind of gravitate toward what 
attracts you, I suppose. The only point I'm making is that it's not all just sort of haphazard and that there are causal relationships. You just have to choose your teacher wisely, choose your practice wisely if you're going to do one uh, to the best of your knowledge and uh, keep your eyes open. There's a lot of spiritual casualties, a lot of people who get really uh, you know, traumatized or disillusioned by association with teachers and so on. But there's some good ones and you can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't even consider myself teachers and you know I know in this uh, community a lot of people don't even consider themselves as a teacher see what we're doing is we're pointing out the real guru what I say is is already within you it's, it's yeah. here so the source is here that, sure. that that knows you see that guru is here that is you know in Sanskrit word that what I call is maha guru which is you know the guru of the guru is already here Mm -hmm. So those guys are just pointing out, look into that, look into that, look into that. So, you know, and most of them say that. You know, guys like Ramana Maharshi, they probably said those very words to people. The re that it's the real guru is within. Yes. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that there's no value whatsoever in having an external guru if that's your inclination. Uh, it's, it's not that it has no significance whatsoever for a person. A lot of people who listen to this show, I've gotten some great reports, have kind of gotten into some kind of association with someone I've interviewed, you know, after having seen them on the show, and have undergone a dramatic uh, shift as a result of that association. So if that happens, great, you know, I mean, who's, who am I or you to say that it couldn't happen or shouldn't happen or anything? No, no, I'm not saying, you know, <laughs> I'm not for a moment saying that, you know, you shouldn't do anything, you shouldn't go to this guru or that guru, you should practice this you know I'm not saying anything like that well what I'm saying is what I experience here is totally unrelated to anything any event in life that's what no I'm I understand saying. that so, so you're speaking from your experience and I respect yeah. that yeah. Uh, but let's not take our own experience as the sort of the universal truth that it's going to apply that way for everybody <laughs> it, it, it was that way for you <laughs> okay okay I mean I, I, I don't want to sound like that you see and like I said, I go back, you know, see, this being right here is speaking, you know, is singing my tune. You know, other people sing different, their own tune. You see? Different tunes, so, yeah. So, yeah, it's the, everyone is singing different tunes to get the peace of the resources, mm -hmm. see, that is available to us. So, everybody wants to get the peace of resources that is available to us, uh, to them. So, that's what everyone is doing. See, we are singing our tune, you see. But the commitment here, you know, as I said, you know, I had an uh, appointment to go to St. Louis, which I canceled to be here because this mm -hmm. was the commitment. See, the commitment here is with the truth. And uh, the truth that uh, you see is actually uh, nothing that uh, you imagine to be, you see. Again, I'm speaking from my experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the truth I see is totally nothing that I thought yeah. before or right. felt before. It's totally different. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the truth that we speak today is trivial truth, like, you know, like my name, address, telephone number, you know, my, sure. what I do, you know, this is my family, this is my house, this is my car. So those are only trivial truth, but I'm, the, the truth I'm speaking about, the real truth is, is totally uh, nothing like what I imagine. No, that's great. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And uh, a lot of people have said that too, that you know, even, even people who read a lot of books and studied a lot of stuff and everything, when it actually dawns on them, sometimes they don't even know what the heck it is because it's so different than, than what they conceived of beforehand. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's great. Well, that's a good note to perhaps start to wrap it up on. You look at a beautiful garden this time of year, and there's all these different flowers and plants and diversity and all that. And that's kind of what the garden of God is like. You know, there's there's you, there's all 183 other people I've interviewed, and thousand people on my waiting list, and a million yeah. pe million people who aren't even on the waiting list who would be equally interesting to talk to. And each one is a different expression, like your two leaves. 
even in the spiritual camp, they're all saying something that's fundamentally the same, but each unique in its own way. And I think each one has its value, its contribution to make. If Robin Pandy was the only guy in the whole world talking about this stuff, then there would yeah, <laughs> it would be boring. War would yeah, be boring. <laughs> yeah, it's not the way God operates. You know, God seems to operate in terms of abundant diversity and and multitudes of variety and so on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, I, I hope you feel like this was worth your while. I, I was a little bit argumentative, but I, I felt like I just oh, wanted to make it a lively discussion. And exactly. uh, sorry you had to miss your thing in St. Louis. I hope you have another opportunity to yeah, do that. I do enjoy talking with you. And, uh, you know, this is all, uh, like you said, it's a dynamic experience. And, uh, you know, I enjoy being here today. And I, I don't see it as an argument, Rick. I mean, I, I see this as all part of this flowing. Yeah, a lively discussion. I don't see, yeah, yeah. It's just all part of the truth, and you know, the more argument I have, I, f I feel good because you know that leads. Uh, again, I don't want to say leads, but that points you to the truth. So you know, no, I know you. what you mean. I mean, I used to give lectures myself on meditation, and and I really appreciated it when there was somebody in the audience who really kind of gave me a hard time, you know, yeah. because it would really bring out a lot more than if they all yeah, just yeah. sat there. And, exactly. You know. <laughs> <laughs> good. So, okay. so let me make a couple of wrap-up points. Yeah. I've been speaking with uh, Robin Pandy or Moksha Mukti. Many people adopt a spiritual name these days, and he's known as Moksha Mukti. I'll be linking to his website. I guess you have a Google Plus page and a, and a YouTube channel. Do you have an actual website or no? Uh, I have a WordPress, uh, in a Robin Pandey, uh, okay. WordPress.com. Yeah, send me the link to that, and I'll, I'll link to that, your YouTube, your all the things. And um, I have a couple of books, uh, Amazon.com. Okay, I'll link to those as well. Um, waves metamorphosizing into revelation is one, I believe. Yes. Is, is that right? And uh -huh. Yes. Uh, did I get that right? <laughs> Metamorphosing, I think. Morpho not morphosizing, morphosing. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> Otherwise, ever-perpetuating present moment. Right, right. Mm. And people can get in touch with you through your website, through your, through your WordPress blog. If they're interested. If they wish. <laughs> yep, or watch your YouTube videos. So... Uh, few wrap-up points which I always like to make about BatGap.com. It's an acronym for Buddha the Gas Pump. If you happen to be watching this on YouTube, for instance, uh, you could go to BatGap.com and there you'll have a whole, you'll see the whole thing, all, uh, all the interviews that have been done so far with a, both an alphabetical and a chronological index. There's a discussion group that pops up around each interview in case you want to get chatting about the things that have been discussed in the interview. There's a donate button, um, which I rely upon people clicking occasionally in order to keep the whole thing rolling. There is a link to an audio podcast, so you can get this on iTunes and just listen to the audio. And there is a, a tab that you can click to sign up to be notified by email each time a new interview is posted. So that's it. Thanks for listening or watching. Thank you very much, Moksha. And, uh, Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll s to those who have been listening or watching, we'll see you next week. Next week is going to be this fellow I referred to named Tom Catton, who uh, really had a hell of an experience with in his drug days and, and through spirituality came out of it. And I found his story quite heroic, and I felt like he deserved an interview and that it might help people who are going through similar things to him. So thanks again. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Yeah. Thank you.